Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions. Each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Today, we are sitting down with Sherry Coleman-Collins, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist to explore the new USDA Dietary Guidelines for America and what this means to food allergy parents and the rest of the nation. But first, I would like to say thank you to the National Peanut Board for sponsoring today's podcast and for their support over the years. Welcome, Sherry. I am delighted to have you back on the show again today. Thank you, Caroline. I'm so excited to be here. We're going to jump right in because we have a lot of exciting things to talk about today. But actually, before we get going and start exploring the new guidelines, can you share your background with listeners? Sure. So I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I have worked in pediatrics. I've worked in school nutrition. I've worked in nutrition communications. I have a company in the Atlanta area, actually in Marietta, Georgia, and I focus a lot on food allergies as one of my areas of practice. I'm also a consultant with the National Peanut Board. So now... This last year has been really challenging, and not long ago, we did receive some good news for people starting their families. The USDA released updated dietary guidelines for Americans about feeding babies, which includes recommendations that will actually impact the prevention of food allergy. This is so exciting. I can't even tell you how excited I personally am about this. But can you explain what type of information is actually found in those guidelines? And then why do these guidelines even exist? Absolutely. So I'm like you. I'm so excited about the new dietary guidelines for Americans. And basically, this is a public health document that is meant to help guide how and what we should eat in the United States for better health released every five years based on updated research, what we know about how people in America are eating and how they could be eating to improve their health. In the past, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans didn't include information about babies. It was only for adults and children starting at age two. So it didn't include anything for infants and it didn't include anything for pregnant women or women who are breastfeeding. So now, based on that information, can you go deep now into what the new guidelines are surrounding prevention of food allergies? Yes. So as we know, early introduction of allergenic foods can help prevent food allergies from developing later on in a baby's life. When we start feeding these foods early, starting with complementary feeding around six months, right? For most infants, we start feeding them table foods or solid foods of some sort, purees, right around six months. And we continue to do that alongside breastfeeding or formula feeding. In the past, the recommendation was to avoid allergens. But we know that once we saw the LEAP study published in 2015, the recommendations from the experts changed. 
but we didn't really have public health guidance necessarily that really promoted that. And what the dietary guidelines do are, is they actually um, incorporated the recommendations for early introduction of allergens to help prevent food allergies for babies. Okay, so now how can a parent take that information and that guidance and now apply it? And so like maybe uh, if someone already has a baby that's six months old or if someone's pregnant. If a woman is pregnant, she doesn't need to do anything yet. So the recommendation during pregnancy is to eat a diverse diet, a nutrient-rich diet. You don't have to avoid allergens unless you're allergic yourself. There's no need for you to avoid allergens or any other specific foods. Obviously, alcohol, those kinds of things you should avoid. But in general, you should eat a diverse diet. But when, once the baby's born and starts to consume foods besides breast milk or formula, so other solid foods, you can go ahead and start introducing allergens as well. And so the research is most convincing around peanut foods and egg. And then the other foods like cow's milk and tree nuts and seafood, those are a little bit less strong. There's less evidence for those. But what we know is that a diverse diet in infants is protective and it's also just really great for the baby. But introducing peanut foods and eggs in that first year of life starting around six months actually may help prevent those allergies down the road. So now can you explain what a diverse diet means? That's a great question. You know, when we think about diversity, I always like to, to remind people about, you know, all the different food groups, right? So we've got grains and we've got fruits and vegetables and meats and we've got dairy. You know, all of those foods are nutrient rich. They provide lots of different vitamins and minerals and they're good for our bodies as long as we don't have a food allergy to that food. So when we think about diversifying the diet, even of an infant, once they start eating solid foods, you know, we want to pull from all those different food groups. And as we start to build a diet for the baby that has lots of different colors, lots of different textures, lots of different foods that are appropriate for the baby's developmental stage, then we create a diverse diet. Does that make sense? Yes, that definitely helps. And so just on the line of the diverse diet, say I want to introduce seafood like shrimp. How would I do that? I'm assuming the shrimp needs to be fully cooked, and then do I puree it? If you can just maybe give us even a couple of examples. Sure, yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, you know, when I think about and when I talk to people about um, introducing allergenic foods, I really encourage them to start with eggs and peanuts because that's really where the most research is for prevention. We've got a lot less information about seafood. I can, I'll, I'll address that question too because I think it's a really good one. But when I talk to people about introducing allergens, I usually encourage them to start with egg or peanut. And they should do that once they've started some other foods. So once the baby's already eating some pureed meats, or maybe they're starting to eat a few very soft cooked finger foods, like very soft cooked vegetables, then you can start to add in some well cooked eggs. So you can just scramble an egg and cook it really well, all the way for the baby and then mash it soft and mix it into something else that they've already eaten. You can actually give a baby mashed, really well-mashed eggs all by itself. You don't have to mix it into anything else. And then just start with a very small amount, you know, just a little bit on the end of a spoon, and then progress after about 10 minutes, once you've seen the baby's not showing any signs of a reaction and they're enjoying it, then you can move forward. And you would do that similarly with peanut butter. So you might start with a couple of teaspoons of peanut butter, mix it with some warm water, some breast milk or some formula to make it nice and soft and thin. You don't want to use 
big globs of peanut butter that hasn't been diluted or certainly not whole peanuts because those can be choking hazards. But once they're modified for the form, they're perfectly safe. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. So now with the guidelines, when they become available, is it safe to say that all physicians receive those updates immediately? And so what I'm getting at is should parents share a copy of the guidelines with their doctor or their pediatrician when they go in on the next visit? You know, the dietary guidelines for Americans is really a consumer document. So it's certainly something that physicians and clinicians will use, but it's meant to be for the the average person, right? For anybody who's interested in learning more about healthy eating. So it isn't necessarily disseminated to healthcare professionals directly, but most healthcare professionals understand what the dietary guidelines are, and they may hear about it and be sort of plugged into paying attention to it. But for parents who've got a young child who want to learn more about how they can use the dietary guidelines for Americans, I think it's a great idea to share it with their healthcare professional. So now before a family would go ahead and start this early introduction, is it recommended that they speak to their doctor? Like how do they know if they're high risk for food allergies or low risk, or do they even need to have that discussion? Another great question. It's a nuanced answer, right? You know, oftentimes in nutrition, I find that the answer is it depends. (laughs) So what we know is that there are some things that contribute to increasing the risk for a child to develop a food allergy. One of them is having severe eczema. So if a baby has severe eczema, then we know that that increases the risk that they're going to go on and develop a food allergy. Another risk is having already established one allergy, right? If you have one specific food allergy, you're more likely to develop another. So when we think about the risk for peanut allergy specifically, we know that children who have existing egg allergy or who have severe eczema are at higher risk for developing a peanut allergy. And so in those cases with babies who've got really significant eczema or who've already started showing some signs of allergy, I always suggest that they talk to their pediatrician before starting allergens because they may want to do a little bit more exploring. And it's important to have those conversations early, like around two months or three months, because if the child is at high risk, then it may be beneficial to start feeding them allergens as early as four months old to help prevent the development of food allergies. Now, looking at children who are already in the home, say an older child that has a peanut allergy, do you have any suggestions for parents and how they can safely feed an infant an allergen that a child who's already living in the house may be dealing with? Sure. That's a great question and one that I get very often. First, I would say that having a sibling or a family member who has a food allergy doesn't necessarily make a child high risk. So that alone isn't enough to make them high risk, although it does increase the risk some. Most of the time, what I say is that you have friends and family, and hopefully there are two people helping to raise the children. Not always the case, but usually and oftentimes there are. So divide and conquer, right? So even if there's not maybe a partner, then think about a parent or an aunt or an uncle who can help maybe take the allergic child out of the home and then feed the baby at home according to the guidelines. I can send you a copy of the recommendations so you can include the link with this podcast show notes. Would that be helpful? That would be fantastic. Please do. Okay, I'll do that. So you'll have the the recommendations on the how to do the, the introduction at home. One thing that I know is as a mom, Sometimes I try to do everything by myself, and we don't have to do everything by ourselves. (laughs) 
And I think it's really good to work with other people in our circle, right? So it can be our friends, it can be our family, it can be another food allergy mom. So if you've got a child who's got a food allergy, maybe send your child with a food allergy over to someone else's house. And I know that with COVID, with the pandemic, that can be a little bit harder sometimes. But we have to sometimes think creatively, right? Think outside the box, get that allergic child out of the house for the day, introduce to the non-allergic child, and then see what happens and move forward from there. Now, let's assume that the baby doesn't have the allergy, doesn't develop an allergy, right? They eat the food, they like it, it, they don't have a reaction, it's delicious. The other important piece of introduction is keeping it in the diet, because we, we always say like early and often, right? Get it in and then keep it in. Keeping it in the diet is an important part of helping prevent allergies as well. So that's another conversation then. If there's a child in the household who has an allergy to the foods that you're introducing to the baby, then you want to think about how you can do that sort of segregation in the home. Hopefully, you've already educated yourself a good bit about managing food allergies, but if you haven't, now's the time to think about how you can do that. And you can use some prepackaged foods to help with that, keeping the allergen in the diet. You can also lean on sort of eating those foods outside the house if that's what you're most comfortable with. And I think there are a lot of things that you need to think about. And every family is going to have their own comfort level. And I think just kind of using your resources and then reaching out to other people who can help you. That's always my guidance in this area. That's extremely helpful. And actually, that's what we did with my daughter, because my son is allergic to peanut, trina, and sesame. He was allergic to a lot more, but he outgrew it. But my daughter is only allergic to trina. And so the allergist had told us fairly early on, you must keep feeding her peanut. So to her delight, I would buy Reese's peanut <laughs> butter cups. And we would drive to the local store. She'd put on a big giant t-shirt that basically just swallowed her up. And I'd let her eat a Reese's cup, which would thrill her to no end. And then I'd take off the shirt and put it in a bag and leave it in the car and off we'd go home. And so it was very funny. I mean, now she's in high school, so she doesn't have to wear the big shirt and she no longer is a messy eater. But she loves telling people, no, I'm sorry, I have to eat this. <laughs> I love which, that. And I think that's a, that's a fun way to address something that can be a little bit of a stressful situation. I think, Caroline, you handled that beautifully, like a little ritual and a treat for her. You know, actually, speaking of rituals, it really became a fun time for her and I, because just her and I would go, and it was kind of like this little special sneaky treat thing. <laughs> and it was really nice. I mean, now that you mentioned that, and, it, and it's funny, we still do that to this day. We'll drive <laughs> to the store, we'll buy a bigger pack, though. And she shares with me now because I'm getting in on the action because now I'm using that as my excuse as well. It's pretty funny. We like to have fun. Absolutely. And food should be fun. One of my mantras for sure is food should be fun. Well, I 100% agree. So now turning back to the guidelines, can you review current breastfeeding recommendations and have these recommendations changed at all? You know, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans does recommend breastfeeding and all of the major healthcare organizations, American Academy of Pediatrics, etc., definitely support breastfeeding and I recommend breastfeeding. It is certainly a great thing to do for the baby and it's good for mom. It does not prevent food allergies on its own. So I think that's important to know is that, you know, just breastfeeding or breastfeeding alone isn't preventive against food allergies. It's beneficial for lots of other reasons. And it's certainly something I encourage, but it doesn't prevent food allergies. In the event that a mom doesn't want to breastfeed or cannot breastfeed, then formula is, of course, the best next option. That usually is a cow's milk based formula. 
unless the child can't tolerate that, and then they would go to a soy milk formula or an alternative if necessary based on the child's needs. But when it comes to breastfeeding, just like with pregnancy, there's no need for moms to avoid allergens while they're breastfeeding. There's not evidence that shows that it causes or prevents food allergies. So at this time, the recommendation is just no avoidance at all. Excellent. Thank you. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about sugar. So what are the new recommendations on (laughs) sugar? Uh, So that is the new recommendations from the Dietary Guidelines for Americans for Infants for Children is no sugar up to two years old. So babies and infants shouldn't be fed added sugar in their diet. Now, I don't think that the Dietary Guidelines made a hard and fast recommendation regarding sugar for other people, except that we need to reduce the amount of sugar that we eat. And children need to reduce the amount of sugar that they eat, certainly as well. I think that in general, we eat too much sugar. There's a recommendation to avoid added sugar altogether. So let's just circle back to added sugar. So -hmm. that means any package or item you buy that the sugar is added into, but not, say, an orange or raspberries or things like that that naturally contain sugar. Right. Absolutely. There are lots of foods that naturally contain sugar and milk and dairy contains sugar. You can find sugar in a lot of different places, but if it's added, it will say it on the label. Either in the ingredients, you'll see that there's sugar or some type of sugar and honey and maple syrup counts. That's sugar too. In packaged items, so you'll find it in the ingredient list or you'll find it called out as added sugar. Thank you for clarifying that. So now before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I think when we think about preventing food allergies, I always like to plug our website with the National Peanut Board at preventpeanutallergies.org. It's a great resource where people can find lots of information on how to introduce peanut foods in particular. And I think those guidelines and recommendations are helpful when you think about introducing any type of allergen. And all of the links to the resources that I've mentioned are available there as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Sherry, so much for bringing us so much wonderful, actionable information. I always love speaking to you, and I just cannot wait until you're on the show again. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Caroline. Have a great day. Again, we want to thank the National Peanut Board for sponsoring this week's Facts Roundtable podcast. You can find all of the links, downloads, and other resources mentioned in today's podcast on our website. Just head over to foodallergyawareness.org and click on the podcast tab, and you will find all of these resources there just waiting for you. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.